following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. I guess one of the things for me as we think about uh, moving into our time of, um, of the Word is... What is, um, you know, some of the things that we think about when it comes to uh, celebrating something like Father's Day and uh, some of the things around uh, recognising the different people that have impacted our lives. And as I was thinking about this morning, I was really thinking about the fact that uh, we often hear this, the, the saying that says that um, Christianity is always only one generation away from extinction. And if you think about that, that's quite a sobering thought if you think about the fact that Christianity could be just one generation away from extinction. But then if you think about it again, and you think about it right over these last 2,000 years, and you think about the story of Christianity, think about the early days of the church where men and women were persecuted for their faith, they had all sorts of trials and tribulations at that time, But during that time, faithful men and women passed the faith on to the next generation. Think about through the Middle Ages where we don't tend to hear a lot about the church and what was going on there. But there were still children and men and women that were faithful to the truth about God and that they were involved in being able to pass the truth on from one generation to the next. In the Reformation time, where there's a real revival around the gospel and the importance of faith in Christ and the importance of the family. But again, we see the fact that it was faithful men and women passing on the things that they had believed to the next generation. That this was the thing that they were involved in doing. And even to this day, you know, we live in an age where even though we don't see it in our society, but there is persecution that takes place as Christians. There's all sorts of uh, you know, wars that take place that can affect the faith. But the reality is one generation has faithfully passed the faith on to the next generation. And I think it's just so important that we think about that. But think about your own lives. If you were to think about your own Christian journey and what was it that brought you to the place of knowing God in your own personal life? It might have been a colleague at work. It might have been somebody at school. Uh, It might have been possibly something that you watched on TV. But my hunch is is that for most of us, it was actually probably our fathers, our mothers, our grandparents, godly uncles and aunts that were the ones that actually told us about the message of Jesus Christ and that they were the ones that passed the faith on to us. You know, I'm amazed when I think about this morning that we have people that are out in Sunday school that their goal for being out there is so that they can be faithful to pass what they have learnt on to the next generation of our children. It happens within our, within our youth ministry as well. Young adults passing the faith on to the next generation as well. And the reality is is that we are all believers today because somebody chose to pass the faith on to us. I guess one of the things that I really love about this church is as I look around, I know that we have multiple generations 
Uh, I know I've counted three generations of some families within our church congregation. There may be four. I'm not sure whether we've got four, but definitely three generations of believers within the same church family. And to me, that's a great testimony of the fact of how people have passed the faith on from those that are now grandparents to the parents and then on to children as well. And we see that that taking place within the lives of our own church family. And you know, I think that today as Father's Day, it's a great opportunity that we can, as dad, celebrate that and acknowledge the importance of families. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that the wider church is so important in the task of passing the faith on from one generation to the next and that we all have a part to play in passing the faith on to other peoples. And you see one of the generations throughout the scriptures is God's desire was that we would know him, that we would love him, and that we would pass what we knew on to the next generation of people. So what I want to do, if you've got your Bibles with you, is turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think I would have to say that as a... um, As a parent, this has probably been one of the passages that I have uh, gone back to time and time again and wrestled with on numerous occasions in terms of the implications of what it means. So let's look at this uh, passage together. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them May fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates." So think about the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy was written at a time when the nation of Israel had been in the wilderness for the last 40 years. They had left Egypt, but due to their disobedience, that they had wandered around in the wilderness for the last 40 years. That they had at times turned their back upon God and that they had done their own things. And because of that, They wandered round and round in the wilderness. And so this message, this sermon that Moses gives is before they were entering the land. In effect, he talks to this new generation and he says, this is who your God is. This is what your God requires of you. And you need to know these things before you go into the promised land. And that's the the scene that is taking place there. And so Moses is really concerned about them knowing exactly what God requires them. And this particular sermon that um, is, we're looking at now goes right back and starts in, um, in chapter 4 of, of Deuteronomy. And firstly, he repeats the Ten Commandments as the basis for the law of God that is given. But in chapter 6, he specifically talks about some things that are critical to us 
and he really emphasizes the things that are important to us. And so these are the things that I want us to focus on today. This is what's important to us. We are to know about God. We are to love God. And we are to live out our faith. And what does Moses say the purpose of doing that is? Is it so that we can pass the faith on to the next generation? Moses knew that as these people entered the promised land, that they needed to be committed to God. They needed to know God and they needed to make sure that their children knew about it, their grandchildren knew about it, and eventually their great-grandchildren, etc. They knew that this was critical in all that was going on there. So firstly, verses 1 to 3 talk about the fact that we're to know about God. Firstly, it's most important that we understand who God is. As the author opens this section, he sets the scene for the people of Israel and what they need to know. The law was given so that people could know who God is, and understand the importance of obedience to God. The Israelites knew that by fearing and obeying him, things would go well with him in the land, and so therefore it is important that we know God and we understand God. The nation of Israel was about to enter into this new land, and it was critical that they understood God, who he was, and focus upon God as they entered into the land. In effect, he's saying that if you want your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren to know about God, you must know who God is. You must know about God and that you must understand totally who God is. A couple of things that we see in that particular, those opening verses there. Firstly, it talks about the fact that we need to fear God. Now, fearing God is probably not something that we tend to talk about a whole lot nowadays. It's not a topic that we... um, tend to hear a lot about. And when you think about fear, I think for most of us, we tend to go back to what we would consider to be the, I guess, the psychological definition of fear, where it is involved in um, a response to our physical and emotional danger. That's not what fear is talking about here. Fear here is talking about the fact of that reverence and awe of God and who God is. Fear is not being afraid in the sense of you're afraid of a spider or something like that. Fear is the sense of that awe and that reverence. In fact, the message version of the Bible probably be catches it better. It says, you'll live in deep reverence before God. The proper human response when we understand the, who God is and what God has done is to be in reverence to him. We see situations throughout, the, particularly the Old Testament, where those that understood the greatness and the majesty of God would literally fall face down upon the ground because they understood what God was like. And we probably don't really have that same sort of concept in our society today, but we need to see that our fear of God is that idea of that awe, that reverence, and that because we understand who God is and because we're in awe of God and who he is, what's our response to that? our response to that is going to be that we will be wanting to live a life of love and obedience to God. So what the foundation that has been set up here is we are to love and to do what God wants, not because we have to, simply because it's a set of rules, but because we understand the greatness and the majesty of God and our natural response is that's what we want to do. That idea of awe and reverence is critical in this passage here. Secondly, we need to listen to God. Throughout the Old Testament, 
time and time again, we, we see the phrase, hear, O Israel, or obey. It is something that is emphasised throughout the entire uh, Old Testament. Time and time again, God emphasises the fact you are to listen to God and from that you are to do what God says. We're going to talk about this a little bit more as we move into the next um, section here, but we must be attentive to God and we must listen to what he's saying to us. And thirdly, and I think it's important to, to see it here as well, is that we are to be involved in putting these things into practice. I think for many of us in our society, we can focus a lot upon learning about God and we spend lots of time learning about God, but we're not always so good about putting the things of God into practice. Um, and that, that's one of the things that is very clear in this particular passage here in uh, Deuteronomy, is, yes, you are to know about God, you are to love God, but most importantly, you're to put these things into practice. That's what's critical there. So firstly, we're to understand who God is. Secondly, we are to love God. Verses 4 and 5 is, is a critical section here uh, in the Scriptures, and these two verses, you might have heard them, they're known as the as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the Shema is simply the tra transliteration of the Hebrew word, um, and it simply means to hear. So we are to hear about God. The Shema became a confession of faith for the people of God by which they acknowledge the one true God and his commandments for them. And even to this day, this Shema is one of the key things that Orthodox Jews will recite in their prayer every day, that they will recite these couple of verses as an acknowledgement to who God is and how they are to respond to God. So in this particular context, it's really looking at the question, who is the God of Israel? And the response to it is, our God is Yahweh, Yahweh alone. And I think within this particular passage, there's a couple of things that are really acknowledged. Firstly, it acknowledges the fact that there is a God. And secondly, which was different from the other nations at that time, there was only one God. This one God was the God that we worshipped. And we need to see that that is what's the most critical thing that we do. Um, and if you think about Moses, he had witnessed not that long before the fact that they had actually built idols because they had quickly lost sight of who God was. Uh, and that you remember that he actually had to be quite stern. And in fact, some of the nation of Israel were punished because they had quickly turned away from the one true God and worshipped false gods. So this is what he's saying here. God is our God. He's the only God. And we are to love this God and this God only. We see this concept of loving God throughout both the Old and the New Testament. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, what did he say? When Jesus, said what, when Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment, he went back to this passage here. He went back to the, the Shema. And if, if we look at this uh, next passage up here from the Gospel of Mark, this is what he says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
The most important one Jesus answered is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he added to it. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So from the beginning of the Old Testament right throughout into the Gospels and the New Testament, this concept of loving God and loving neighbor is the critical thing that distinguishes us as followers of the true God. And we need to see that it is a part of our devotion to God is that we are to be fully committed, totally committed to God. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Now, one of the things that's interesting when we think about that passage uh, in the NIV, which talks about we are to love God with all of our um, heart, soul, and strength, it probably doesn't actually really capture too well what is involved in doing that. It's actually a lot more full than what that translation would say. In fact, if we were to read the message version of the Bible, it says, love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. So what I want to do is I want to unpack this a little bit. And I've got a diagram up there, hopefully. <coughs> so what we're looking at here is we can see the fact that there's actually almost like three concentric circles that have been addressed within this particular passage. So at the centre there is the heart. Now when we think about heart, we think about it as the seat of emotions. That, that would be how we would, you know, we'd talk about the, the head as being the thinking, the mind, the heart as being the, the emotions era. But the reality was that in the Hebrew way of thinking, it often functions metaphorically for the seat of the emotions and the will and the mind. So it more serves that idea of it encompasses all of our inner being. So it's what we think, it's what we feel, it's our motives, it's all of those sorts of things. So it's probably a lot more holistic than what we would normally think about as simply being just the seat of our emotions. And the next word that's talked about there, loving the Lord your God with all your um, uh, heart, soul, and strength, again, the, the word there means literally throat or gullet. But the idea there is it's meaning our entire being. So what is talked about here is that it really means the fact that it's um, everything that is physical about us. So it's almost like he's going from the sense of the heart, which is the idea of our, our emotions, our will, uh, our feelings, all those sorts of things. The next step out is all of our, um, all of our person, all of our physical being. And that's what we are to be involved in loving God. And then the third part there, which is mentioned, is the fact that we are to be loving God um, with all of our strength. And um, here it is really referring to our, we could say, our resources. So it's, our, it's not just our physical strength, it's our economic, it's our social strength. So it's basically everything that is under our control is to be involved in loving God. So you can see that when we try and unpack a little bit about what's actually going on in this, this passage here, it's saying that everything that is within you, everything that you have control over, is to be focused upon loving God. So it's not just an emotional response. 
It's a response of our every single part of us. Everything physical within us, you know, like in the Israelite situation, it was used with things like their tools, their livestock, their house. So the point here is everything that we think, feel, all that is in us, all the things we have in our control are to be focused on loving God. Get the idea of what's going on here? It's not just what we, what we think or feel about God. It's every single part of us is focused upon loving God. Everything that we have is focused on loving God. Every single part of you should be focused upon that. Whether it be your emotions, whether it be your, your thinking, whether it be what your hands do, whether it be the way you spend your money, whether it be what you do in your work situation, whether it be what you do with your leisure time, doesn't matter. All of that should be committed to loving God. Every single part of our being should be focused upon loving God. And then thirdly, he goes on in these uh, verses 6 through 9, and he actually starts to talk about what are some of the practical examples of how this actually works out. And he talks about some of the ways that we can be involved in loving God. We need to see that loving God affects the way that we live our lives. So the idea of those three concentric circles that we talked about then he fleshes those out in terms of some of the actions that we're to be involved in doing. So first he starts out in verse 6, he says that we are to love God in our inner being. Israelite faith is not to be defined by the ritual acts that they did, but it was to be reflected by a deep commitment of the heart, something that they believed and something that affected their inner being. So the Israelites knew that it wasn't just simply things that they did, it wasn't just a ritual, but their heart actually was impacted for God. It did actually affect the way that they lived their lives. But secondly, belief in God is a family matter as well. And it's demonstrated in passing on the faith from one generation to the next. And it's critical that they understood that if the next generation is going to know about God, who's going to tell them about God? Well, it's our responsibility. If we don't tell the next generation about God, they're not going to hear. So God is um, encouraging us to make sure that we look for ways that we can pass on the faith to the next generation, to our children, to the members of our household, to the members of our community. All of those are to be involved in learning about faith. This means that God's people were repeating the truths about God constantly. When God's people sit in their homes, when they walk along the road, they are constantly talking about and reminding each other and the next generations that are coming about who God is and about the way that God is operating. It was critical as far as this nation was concerned. And thirdly, they saw the fact that commitment to God is also a public matter. Moses continues by telling his people to bind these words to their, um, their hands and their foreheads. I'll put a diagram up there. Can you go back a couple of slides, please, Murray? Uh, there should be a, is there a picture there? Okay, doesn't matter. Anyway, I, th th there's a picture of, of uh, where they actually put the scriptures onto their foreheads. Here it is. Um, so they put the scriptures onto their foreheads and they bind it there as part of their worship. So the Orthodox Jews will do this even to this day. And then they will bind them around the arm as well. So that was how literally 
that the Orthodox Jews took this particular passage about the scriptures. So they had these little boxes with scriptures in them. They put on their foreheads. They had uh, scriptures that they would bind around their arms. And this was a literal way that they interpret what is talked about here in Deuteronomy 6. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should do that, so don't worry. But it does show you how close they felt that they should have God's word, that it was to be uh, visibly obvious to all those around them, the importance of God's word and all that is involved in doing that. So uh, they knew that God's word was to be seen by all. So it talked about them doing these sorts of things here. It talked about them putting around the, uh, the posts of their houses so that people could see about the God that they believed in. So I think the point of the passage is, is that they lived out their faith and others were able to see their faith. Everyone they came in contact with knew about God. God permeates every area of our lives, it permeates every area of their lives, and that the goal was to be able to pass that faith on to the next generation. So the pattern really that we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is this. We are to know God, we are to love God, we are to live our lives for God, and then we are to pass that faith on. And then in effect, the next generation does the same thing. They are to know God, they're to love God, they're to live for God, and they're to pass it on. And that's the pattern that is talked about in this particular passage here in Deuteronomy. Passing the faith on. Knowing God, loving God, living for God, passing it on to the next generation. So I think in terms of some of the things that are important to us today, um, it's almost like the Shema was uh, like the, a pledge of allegiance. You might have seen the Americans do their, their pledge of allegiance to the flag, um, it's, it's almost that same sort of idea that the nation of Israel was pledging their allegiance to God. Um, and this was what was critical to them. When Israelites recited this pledge, they acknowledged who God was, what God had done for them, and that their desire was to serve God and to be the people that God wanted them to be. So a few things I think that are important to us today as we think about the implications of this passage. Firstly, true spirituality comes from knowing God. Firstly, in this passage, we were taught about who God was. Moses taught his people, and he teaches us as Christians that true spirituality arises from a heart that understands God and that extends to all of our lives. We need to see that we are fully committed to God. True love for God is rooted in the heart, and then it's going to be demonstrated in the things that we do. So we need to see that true spirituality, true maturity in Christ, firstly comes from our, our understanding and our knowledge of God. Secondly, we learn about loving God. Our text reminds us of the biblical understanding of love and the fact that we are to be loving in all that we do. So love isn't simply just an emotion here, but it's a commitment to being uh, in oneness with God and doing what God wants us to do. It's a commitment to demonstrate in our actions the things that we understand about God and the things that we do. As Christians, we praise God for who he is and for what he's done, but then we also uh, do the things he wants us to do. The reality is we're here today because of our love for God. We come and we worship God because we love him. We do those things, but we also obey God because we love him. In fact, um, in the Gospel of John, it says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. 
So as we love God, it transforms the way that we live our lives. And I think, and I've talked about this already, but just to remind you of the fact that true religion is passed on. We don't have a faith that we sort of hang on to and we possess for ourselves. The whole point of our Christian lives is that we live it out, that others can see it, and that we pass it on to the next generation. And that next generation may physically be our children or our grandchildren, but it may also be others that we come in contact with every day within our church family, within the wider society. Our faith is not something we hang on to. Our faith is something that we live at and that we pass on to the next generation. We need to see that our faith is passed on in all that we do. As I was thinking about today, I just thought of um, just 10 practical applications for this particular passage that um, came to my mind and how they can be lived out on a day-to-day basis. So I'll just go through these um, just to give you some practical ways to live out some of the the principles that we've talked about here. Firstly, uh, God is central. In case you didn't get it, they knew that God was in the centre of all of life and the nation of Israel. And we need to see the same thing as well. All that we are, all that we do, all that we think and feel and act needs to have God as the centre. And I guess that's one of the things I love about Deuteronomy is the fact that it puts God in the centre. Everything else revolves around God. So God is central. And that we need to think about our own lives and is God central in our own lives or are other things taking that place? But God should be central in all that we do. Uh, and tied in with that is the fact that God impacts or God affects all of our lives. Um, God is not just a God for Sunday morning, although it's good that God is here on a Sunday morning, but the fact is, is that God should affect all areas of our lives. That God is with us when we leave church today. He will be with us in our workplace or our school place or our university or whatever it may be tomorrow. So our place of influence, our money, our time, there's no part of our lives that God does not affect and that we need to see that God affects all our lives. And I think that's one of the things that is so great when I think about Deuteronomy 6 is how big an effect God had on all of their lives. Thirdly, we need to keep learning about God. This is a lifelong process. We don't just know about God and... That's it. We continue to learn and we continue to grow in God. And that's why we need to continue to spend time in God's word. We need to continue to spend time growing our understanding and our knowledge of who God is and how we can apply those to our lives. Fourthly, faith connects. We need to show others how faith connects to real life. And I think at times this is an area that we don't do as well as what we could do. But faith needs to be seen as connecting to all of our lives. Christianity is not a set of rules. Christianity is not a set of rules. We walk with and obey God in our lives because we love God. And that it transforms the way that we live our lives. And it should connect to all aspects of our lives. Faith doesn't 
mean anything unless it changes the way that we live our lives. Faith should help us to live our lives in honesty and integrity. It should help us to be better neighbours, to be better friends. It should impact and it should change the way that we live our lives. Faith connects with the way that we live. Fifthly, uh, lead by example. The Apostle Paul was strong on this one. He didn't do what many of us tend to do is um, do what I say, don't do... Was it? Do as I say, don't do as I do. But the reality is we should be able to say to people, do as I do because I'm doing what God says. So we should be living lives that other people can model, whether those people be our children, our neighbours that may be believers, those within our church community, we need to be seeing that as critical, that we live lives that others can follow. Sixth, show love and compassion. One of the characteristics that we have as believers is the love and compassion that we show to others. Uh, remember when we talked about um, the greatest commandment, said the fact that we are to love God, and what was the second? Love your neighbour. Um, so we are to be uh, showing love and compassion to those that are around us. Seventhly, uh, get involved with other believers. Um, I love it here at church, the number of people that head out before the sermon on a Sunday to go up and spend time with our children. The number of people that are involved in uh, various aspects of the life of our church that are committed to being able to pass the things on to other people, that they are involved in the lives of other believers and that they're faithful to pass these truths on to other people. So one thing that was clear from the nation of Israel is that they were involved in each other's lives, they had a community of faith, they supported each other, they nurtured one another, and that they were able to support each other in their growth. You know, in the New Testament it talks about the fact that we are the body of Christ. And as a body, we have different parts, we have different functions, but we all work together so that we can grow and mature and demonstrate what God wants us to be. It's critical that we do that. Eighth, live out our values and beliefs. As Christians, our values and beliefs should be important to us, and we need to do our best to live them out. You know, as I said, the Orthodox Jews put the, uh, you know, the scriptures on their foreheads and on their arms, not saying that you should do that, but people should see our faith. If our faith is genuine, people should see it in what we do. Ninth, proclaim the good news. If we're to honour God, we need to take the opportunities that are there to share our faith when it comes. We need to be faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ because that is what will transform people's lives. And lastly, teach the next generation about God. If you think about the fact that we... Christianity is only one generation away from extinction, then those of us that are here today as believers are the ones that have the responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. So not designed to guilt trip you, but to make us aware that all of us here today are responsible for making sure that the next generation will know about our God that they will have the same love and devotion to God that we have. We are the people of God. We have the responsibility to pass that on to the next generation. 
The reality is some of you might be here as parents, pass on to your children. Some of you as grandparents, pass it on to your grandchildren. Some of you that have friends and neighbours that you have influence with, pass the faith on. That, that is what we are to be involved in doing. In Deuteronomy 6, we saw the fact that as the nation entered the promised land, it was important that they knew God. They loved God. They lived it out. Why? So that the next generation would know. And it's the same for us today. We need to do those things so that the next generation will know about the God that we love and serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for who you are. We thank you that we can read your scriptures, that we can understand about you. But Father, we also thank you that you are a God that we love. You are a God that we are fully committed to. All of our being is committed to loving you, Lord. And Father, I also want to thank you that we have the opportunity to serve you. On a day-to-day basis, we can go out and serve you faithfully. And that by doing that, others will know you and will know about you. Father, help us to be your people, committed to loving you, committing to serving you, and committed to proclaiming the good news about you to others that don't know it. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.